0: Chapter Four of Pilgrimage to Al Medina and Mecca. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. Chapter Four of Personal Narrative of a Pilgrimage to Al Medina and Mecca by Richard Francis Burton. Chapter Four Life in the Wakala. The Wakala as the Caravanserai, or Khan, is called in Egypt, combines the offices of hotel, lodging house, and store. It is at Cairo, as at Constantinople, a massive pile of buildings surrounding a quadrangular hash or courtyard. On the ground floor are rooms like caverns for merchandise and shops of different kinds, tailors, cobblers, bakers, tobacconists, fruiterers, and others a roofless gallery or a covered veranda into which all the apartments open runs round the first and sometimes the second story The latter however is usually exposed to the sun and wind the accommodations consist of sets of two or three rooms generally an inner one and an outer the latter contains a hearth for cooking a bathing place and similar necessaries the staircases are high narrow and exceedingly dirty dark at night and often in bad repair. A goat or donkey is tethered upon the different landings. Here and there a fresh skin is stretched in process of tanning, and the smell reminds the veteran traveler of those closets in the old French inns where a cat used to be prepared for playing the part of jugged hair. The interior is unfurnished. Even the pegs upon which clothes are hung have been pulled down for firewood. The walls are bare but for stains. Thick cobwebs depend in festoons from the blackened rafters of the ceiling, and the stone floor would disgrace a civilized prison the windows are huge apertures carefully barred with wood or iron and in rare places show remains of glass or paper pasted over the framework in the courtyard the poor sort of travellers consort with tethered beasts of burden beggars howl and slaves lie basking and scratching themselves upon mountainous heaps of cotton bales and other merchandise this is not a tempting picture, yet is the Wakala a most amusing place, presenting a succession of scenes which would delight lovers of the Dutch school, a rich exemplification of the grotesque, and what is called by artists the dirty picturesque. I could find no room in the Wakala Khan Khalil, the Longs or Muruses of native Cairo. I was therefore obliged to put up with the Jamalaya, a Greek quarter swarming with drunken christians and therefore about as fashionable as oxford street or covent garden even for this i had to wait a week the pilgrims were flocking to cairo and to none other would the prudent hotel keepers open their doors for the following sufficient reasons when you enter a wakala the first thing you have to do is pay a small sum varying from two to five shillings for the mifta the key This is generally equivalent to a month's rent, so the sooner you leave the house, the better for it. I was obliged to call myself a Turkish pilgrim in order to get possession of two most comfortless rooms, which I afterwards learned were celebrated for making travelers ill, and I had to pay eighteen piastres for the key and eighteen ditto per mensum for rent, besides five piastres to the man who swept and washed the place, so that for this month my house hire amounted to nearly four pence a day but i was fortunate enough in choosing the jamalaya wakala for i found a friend there on board the steamer a fellow voyager seeing me sitting alone and therefore as he conceived in discomfort placed himself by my side and opened a hot fire of kind inquiries he was a man about forty-five of middle size with a large round head closely shaven a bull neck limbs sturdy as a saxons a thin red beard and handsome features beaming with benevolence a curious dry humor he had delighted in quizzing but in so quiet solemn and quaint a way that before you knew him you could scarcely divine his drift thank allah we carry a doctor said my friend more than once with an apparent fervor of gratitude after he had discovered my profession i was fairly taken in by the pious ejaculation and some days elapsed before the drift of his remark became apparent you doctors he explained when we were more intimate what do you do a man goes to you for ophthalmia it is a purge a blister and a drop in the eye is it for fever well a purge and kinakina quinine for dysentery a purge and extract of opium wallahi i am as good a physician as the best of you he would add with a broad grin if I only knew the Durham-Burhams. The second is an imitative word, called in Arabic grammar tabiyah, as Zaid baid Zaid and others. So used, it denotes contempt for drachms and similar parts of drug craft. Drums and drachms, and a few breakjaw Arabic names of diseases. Haji Wali, this familiar abbreviation of Wali al-Din, was the name assumed by the enterprising traveller dr Walad, therefore emphatically advised me to make bread by honestly teaching languages we are dr ridden said he and i found it was the case when we lived under the same roof the hadji and i became fast friends during the day we called on each other frequently we dined together and passed the evening in the mosque or some other place of public pastime coyly at first but less guardedly as we grew bolder we smoke the forbidden weed hashish by the indians called bang the persians bang the hottentots daka, and the natives of barbary Fasuk. even the siberians we are told intoxicate themselves by the vapor of this seed thrown upon red-hot stones egypt surpasses all other nations in the variety of compounds into which this fascinating drug enters and will one day probably supply the western world with indian hemp when its solid merits are duly appreciated at present in europe it is chiefly confined as cognac and opium used to be to the apothecary's shelves some adventurous individuals at paris after the perusal of monte cristo attempted an orgy in one of the cafés but with poor success conversing lengthy the while about that world of which i had seen so much originally from russia he also had been a traveller and in his wanderings he had cast off most of the prejudices of his people. I believe in Allah and his prophet, and in nothing else was his sturdy creed. He projected alchemy, jinnies, and magicians, and truly he had a most unoriental distaste for tales of wonder. When I entered the Wakala, he constituted himself my cicerone, and especially guarded me against the cheating of tradesmen. By his advice, I laid aside the Darwish gown, the large blue pantaloons, and the short shirt, in fact, all connection with Persia and the Persians. If you persist in being an Ajami, said the Haji, you will get yourself into trouble. In Egypt you will be cursed. In Arabia you will be beaten because you are a heretic. You will pay the treble of what other travelers do, and if you fall sick, you may die by the roadside. After long deliberation about the choice of nations, I became a pathan. The Indian name of an Afghan, supposed to be a corruption of their Arabic Fathan, a conqueror, or a derivation from the Hindustani Pethna, to penetrate into the hostile ranks. It is an honorable term in Arabia, where Khorasani, a native of Khorasan, leads men to suspect a Persian, and the other generic appellation of the Afghan tribe Sulamani, a descendant from Solomon, reminds the people of their proverb verb suleimani harami the afghans are ruffians born in india of afghan parents who had settled in the country educated at rangoon and sent out to wander as men of that race frequently are from early youth i was well guarded against the danger of detection by fellow countrymen to support the character requires a knowledge of persian hindustani and arabic all of which i knew sufficiently well to pass muster any trifling inaccuracy was charged upon my long residence at rangoon this was an important step the first question at the shop on the camel and in the mosque is what is thy name the second whence comest thou this is not generally impertinent or intended to be annoying if however you see any evil intention in the questioner you may rather roughly ask him what may be his maternal parent's name equivalent to inquiring in what church his mother was married, and escape your difficulties under cover of the storm. But this is rarely necessary. I assume the polite, pliant manners of an Indian physician, and the dress of a small effendi or gentleman. Still, however, representing myself to be a Darwish, and frequenting the places where Darwishers congregate, what business, asks the Haji, have those reverend men with politics or statistics, or any of the information which you are collecting? Call yourself a religious wanderer, if you like, and let those who ask the object of your peregrinations know that you are under a vow to visit all the holy places in Al-Islam. Thus you will persuade them that you are a man of rank under a cloud, and you will receive much more civility than perhaps you deserve, concluded my friend with a dry laugh. The remark proved his sagacity, and after ample experience I had not to repent having been guided by his advice. Haji Wali, by profession a merchant at Alexandria, had accompanied Kudabakhsh, the Indian, to Cairo on law business. He soon explained his affairs to me, and as his case brought out certain oriental peculiarities in a striking light, with his permission I offer a few of his details. My friend was defendant in a suit instigated against him in HBM's consular court, Cairo, by one Mohammed Shafia, a scoundrel of the first water. This man lived, and lived well by setting up in business at places where his name was not known he enticed the unwary by artful displays of capital and after succeeding in getting credit he changed residence carrying off all he could lay hands upon but swindling is a profession of personal danger in uncivilized countries where law punishes pauper debtors by a short imprisonment and where the cheated prefer to gratify the revenge by the cudgel or the knife so Mohammed Shafia, after a few narrow escapes, hit upon a prime expedient. Though known to be a native of Bokhara, he actually signed himself so in his letters, and his appearance at once bespoke his origin, he determined to protect himself by a British passport. Our officials are sometimes careless enough in distributing these documents, and by so doing they expose themselves to a certain loss of reputation at Indian courts. for the simple reason that no eastern power confers such an obligation except for value received in old times when official honor was not so rigorous as it is now the creditors of eastern powers and principalities would present high sums to british residents and others for the privilege of being enrolled in the list of their subjects or servants this they made profitable for their claims however exorbitant when backed by a name of fear were certain to be admitted unless the resident's conscience would allow of his being persuaded by weightier arguments, of a similar nature to abandon his protégé. It is almost needless to remark that nothing of the kind can occur in the present day, and at the same time that throughout the eastern world it is firmly believed that such things are of a daily occurrence. Ill fame descends to distant generations, whilst good deeds, if they blossom, as we are told, in the dust, are at least as short-lived as they are sweet. Still, Mohammed Shafi have found some difficulties in effecting his fraud, To recount all his Reinhardtisms would weary the reader. Suffice it to say that by proper management of the subalterns in the consulate, he succeeded without ruining himself. Armed with this new defense, he started boldly for Jeddah on the Arabian coast. Having entered into partnership with Haji Wali, whose confidence he had won by prayers, fastings, and pilgrimages, he openly trafficked in slaves, sending them to Alexandria for sale and writing with matchless impudence to his correspondent that he would dispose of them in person, but for fear of losing his British passport and protection. Presently, an unlucky adventure embroiled this worthy British subject with Faraj Yusuf, the principal merchant of Jeddah, and also an English protégé. Fearing so powerful an adversary, Mohammed Shafia packed up his spoils and departed for Egypt. Presently he quarrels with his former partner, thinking him a soft man, and claims from him a debt of 165 pounds. He supports his pretensions by a document and four witnesses, who are ready to swear that the receipt in question was signed, sealed, and delivered by Haji Wali. The latter reduces his books to show that accounts have been settled, and can prove that the witnesses in question are paupers, therefore not legal. Moreover, that each has received from the plaintiff two dollars, the price of perjury now had such a suit been carried into a turkish court of justice it would very sensibly have been settled by the bastinado for Wali was a respectable merchant and mohammed shafia a notorious swindler but the latter was a british subject which notably influenced the question the more to annoy his adversary he went up to cairo and began proceedings there hoping by this acute step to receive part payment of his demand Arriving at Cairo, Mohammed Shafia applied himself stoutly to the task of bribing all who could be useful to him, distributing shawls and piastres with great generosity. He secured the services of an efficient lawyer, and determining to enlist heaven itself in his cause, he passed the Ramazan ostentatiously. He fasted, and he slaughtered sheep to feed the poor. Meanwhile, Haji Wali, a simple truth-telling man, who could never master the rudiments of that art which teaches men to blow hot and to blow cold with the same breath, had been persuaded to visit Cairo by Kudukbash, the wily Indian, who promised to introduce him to influential persons, and to receive him in his house till so he could provide himself with a lodging at the Wakala. But Mohammed Shafia, who had once been in partnership with the Indian, and who possibly knew more than was fit to meet the public ear, found this out, and partly by begging, partly by bullying, persuaded Kudabaksh to transfer the influential introductions to himself. Then the Hakim, a doctor, a learned man, not to be confounded with Hakim, a ruler. Abdullah, your humble servant, appears upon the scene. He has traveled in Faryongistan. He has seen many men in their cities. He becomes an intimate and an adviser of the haji. He finds out evil passages in Mohammed Shafiz's life, upon which Kutapar, ashamed, or rather afraid of his duplicity, collects his Indian friends. The Hakim Adallah draws up a petition addressed to Mr. Wall, H.B.M.'s consul, by the Indian merchants and others resident at Cairo, informing him of Mohammed Shafiz's birth, character, and occupation as a vendor of slaves, offering proof of all assertions and praying him for the sake of their good name to take away his passport. And all the Indians affix their seals to this paper. Then Mohammed Shafia threatens to waylay and beat the Haji. The Haji, not loud or hectoringly, but with a composed smile, advises his friends to hold him off. One would suppose that such a document would have elicited some inquiry. But Haji Wali was a Persian protégé, and proceedings between the consulates had commenced before the petition was presented. The pseudo-British subject, having been acknowledged as a real one, must be supported. Consuls, like kings, may err, but must not own to error. No notice was taken of the Indian petition. Worse still, no inquiry into the slave affair was set on foot. It may be as well to remark that our slave laws require reform throughout the East, their severity, like Draco's Code, defeating their purpose. In Egypt, for instance, they require modification constitute the offense a misdemeanor, not a felony, inflict a fine, say a hundred pounds, half of which should be given to the informer, and make the imprisonment either a short one, or, what would be better still, let it be done away with, except in cases of non-payment. And finally, let the consul or some other magistrate residing at the place have power to inflict the penalty of the law, instead of being obliged, as at present, to transmit offenders to Malta for trial. As the law now stands, our officials are unwilling to carry its rigors into effect. They therefore easily lend an ear to the standard excuse, ignorance, in order to have an opportunity of decently dismissing a man, with a warning not to do it again. And it was discovered that the passport having been granted by a consul-general could not with official etiquette be resumed by a consul. Yet, at the time, there was at Alexandria, an acting consul-general, to whom the case could, with strict propriety, have been referred. Thus matters were destined to proceed as they began. Mohammed Shafia had offered 5,000 piastres to the Persian consul's interpreter. This, of course, was refused. But still, somehow or other, all the hajji's affairs seemed to go wrong his statements were mistranslated, his accounts were misunderstood, and the suit was allowed to drag on to a suspicious length. When I left Cairo in July, Haji Wali had been kept away nearly two months from his business and family, though both parties, for the plaintiff's purse was rapidly thinning, appeared eager to settle the difference by arbitration. When I returned from Arabia in October, matters were almost in statu quo ante, and when i started for india in january the proceedings had not closed such is a brief history but too common of a case in which the subject of an eastern state has to contend against british influence it is doubtless a point of honour to defend our protégés from injustice but the higher principle should rest upon the base of common honesty the worst part of such a case is that the injured party has no redress fiat injustitia ruet coelum. Is the motto of his natural protectors, who would violate every law to gratify the false pride of a petty English official. And saving the rare exceptions where rank or wealth command consideration, with what face, to use the native phrase, would a hapless Turk appeal to the higher powers, our ministers or our parliament? After lodging myself in the Wakala, my first object was to make a certain stir in the world. In Europe, your travelling doctor advertises the loss of a diamond ring the gift of a russian autocrat or he monopolizes a whole column in a newspaper feeling perhaps a title for the use of a signature the large brass plate the gold-headed cane the rattling chariot and the summons from the sermon complete the work here there is no such royal road to medical fame you must begin by sitting with the porter who is sure to have blear eyes into which you drop a little nitrate of silver whilst you instill into his ear the pleasing intelligence that you never take a fee from the poor. He recovers, his report of you spreads far and wide, crowding your doors with paupers. They come to you as though you were their servant, and when cured they turn their backs upon you forever. Hence it is that European doctors generally complain of ingratitude on the part of their oriental patients. It is true that if you save a man's life he naturally asks you for the means of preserving it moreover in none of the eastern languages with which i am acquainted is there a single term conveying the meaning of our gratitude and none but germans johann gottlieb Fichte expressly declares that the scope of his system has never been explained by words and that it even admits not of being so explained to make his opinions intelligible he would express them by a system of figures each of which must have a known and positive value have ideas that unexplainable by words but you must not condemn this absence of a virtue without considering the cause an oriental deems that he has the right to your surplus daily bread is divided by heaven he asserts and eating yours he considers it his own thus it is with other things he is thankful to allah for the gifts of the creator but he has a claim to the good offices of a fellow-creature in rendering him a service you have but done your duty and he would not pay you so poor a compliment as to praise you for the act he leaves you his benefactor with a short prayer for the length of your days thank you being expressed by allah increase thy weal, or the selfish wish that your shadow with which you protect him and his fellows may never be less and this is probably the last you hear of him there is a discomfort in such proceedings a reasonable metaphysical coldness ugly contrasting in theory with the genial warmth which a little more heart would infuse into them in theory i say not in practice human nature feels kindness is displayed to return it in kind but easterns do not carry out the idea of such obligations as we do what can be more troublesome than when you have obliged a man to run the gauntlet of his and his family's thanksgivings to find yourself become a master from being a friend a great man when you were an equal, not to be contradicted, where shortly before every one gave his opinion freely. You must be unamiable if these considerations deter you from benefiting your friend. Yet, I humbly opine, you still may fear his gratefulness. To resume, when the mob has raised you to fame, patients of a better class will slowly appear on the scene. After some coquetting about etiquette, whether you are to visit them or they are to call upon you, They make up their minds to see you, and to judge with their eyes whether you are to be trusted or not, whilst you, on your side, set out with the determination that they shall at once cross the Rubicon, in less classical phrase, swallow your drug. If you visit the house, you insist upon the patient's service attending you. He must also provide and pay an ass for your conveyance, no matter if it be only to the other side of the street. Your confidential man accompanies you, primed for replies to the fifty searching questions of the servants hall you are lifted off the saddle tenderly as nurses dismount their charges when you arrive at the gate and you waddle upstairs with dignity arrived at the sick room you salute those presence with the general peace be upon you to which they respond and upon thee be the peace and the mercy of allah and his blessing to the invalid you say there is nothing the matter please allah except the health to which the proper answer For here, every sign of ceremony has its countersign. M.C. de Percival, Arabic grammar, and Lane, Modern Egyptians, Chapter 8, at Passam, give specimens. Is, May Allah give thee health. When you sit down, and acknowledge the presence of the company by raising your right hand to your lips and forehead, bowing the while circularly, each individual returns the civility by a similar gesture then inquiry about the state of your health ensues then you are asked what refreshment you will take you studiously mention something not likely to be in the house but at last you rough it with a pipe and a cup of coffee then you proceed to the patient who extends his wrist and ask you what his complaint is then you examine his tongue you feel his pulse you look learned and he is talking all the time After hearing a detailed list of all his ailments, you gravely discover them, taking for the same as much praise to yourself as does the practicing phrenologist for a similar simple exercise of the reasoning faculties. The disease, to be respectable, must invariably be connected with one of the four temperaments, or the four elements, or the humors of Hippocrates. Cure is easy, but it will take time, and you, the doctor, requires attention. Any little rudeness it is in your power to punish by an alteration in the pill or the powder, and so unknown is professional honour that none will brave your displeasure. If you would pass for a native practitioner, you must finally proceed to the most uncomfortable part of your visit, bargaining for fees. Nothing more effectively arouses suspicions than disinterestedness in a doctor. I once cured a rich Hazrahmout merchant of rheumatism, and neglected to make him pay for treatment. He carried off one of my coffee cups, and was unceasingly wondering where I came from. So I made him produce five piastres, a shilling, which he threw upon the carpet, cursing Indian avarice. You will bring on another illness, said my friend, the haji, when he heard of it. Properly speaking, the fee for a visit to a respectable man is twenty piastres, but with the rich patient you begin by making a bargain. He complains, for instance, of dysentery and sciatica you demand ten pounds for the dysentery and twenty pounds for the sciatica but you will rarely get it the eastern pays a doctor's bill as a orish man does his rent making a grievance of it your patient will show indisputable signs of convalescence he will laugh and jest half the day but the moment you appear groans and lengthened visage and pretended complaints welcome you then your way is to throw out some hints as the world is a carcass and they who seek it are dogs and you refuse to treat the second disorder, which conduct may bring the refractory one to his senses. Dat gallinus opes, however, is a Western epithetism. The utmost gallinus can do for you here is to provide you with the necessaries and comforts of life. Whatever you prescribe must be solid and material, and if you accompany it with something painful, such as rubbing to scarification with a horse brush, so much the better. Easterns, like our peasants in Europe, wish the doctor to give them the value of their money, besides which rough measures act beneficially upon their imagination so the hakim of the king of persia cured fevers by the bastinado. patients are beneficially baked in a bread oven at baghdad and an egyptian at alexandria whose quartan resisted the strongest appliances of european physic was effectively healed by the actual cautery which a certain arab sheikh applied to the crown of his head When you administer with your own hand the remedy, half a dozen huge bread pills, dipped in a solution of aloes or cinnamon water, flavored with asafoetida, which in the case of the dyspeptic rich often suffice, if they will but diet themselves, you are careful to say, in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful, and after the patient has been dosed, praise be to Allah, the curer, the healer. You then call for pen, ink, and paper, and write some such prescription as this. A. A monogram is generally placed at the head of writings. It is the initial letter of Allah and the first of the alphabet, used from time immemorial to denote the act of creation. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. In the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful, and blessings and peace be upon our Lord the Apostle and his family, and his companions, one and all. But afterwards let him take bee's honey and cinnamon and album graecum, of each half a part, and of ginger a whole part which let him pound and mix with the honey and form boluses each bolus the weight of a mescal, and of it let him use every day a mescal on the saliva a la rique that is to say fasting the first thing in the morning verily its effects are wonderful and let him abstain from flesh fish vegetables sweetmeats flatulent food acids of all descriptions as well as the major ablution and live in perfect quiet so shall he be cured by the help of the king the healer the almighty and the peace Salam, i e adieu the diet i need scarcely say should be rigorous nothing has tended more to bring the european system of medicine into contempt among orientals than our inattention of this branch of the therapeutic art when a hindi or a hindu takes medicine he prepares himself for it by diet and rest two or three days before adhibition and as gradually after the dose he relapses into his usual habits if he break through the regime it is concluded that fatal results must ensue the ancient egyptians we learn from herodotus devoted a certain number of days in each month to the use of alteratives and the period was consecutive doubtless in order to graduate the strength of the medicine the persians when under salivation shut themselves up in a warm room never undress and so carefully guard against cold that they even drink tepid water. When the Afghan princes find it necessary to employ chob chini, the ginseng, from M. Huc we learn that ginseng is the most considerable article of Manchurian commerce, and that throughout China there is no chemist's shop unprovided with more or less of it. He adds, The Chinese report marvels of the ginseng and no doubt it is for Chinese organization a tonic of very great effect for old and weak persons, but its nature is too heating. the Chinese physicians admit, for the European temperament, are already in their opinion too hot. The price is enormous, and doubtless its dearness contributes with a people like the Chinese to raise its celebrity so high. The rich and the mandarins probably use it only because it is above the reach of other people, and out of pure ostentation. It is the principal tonic used throughout Central Asia, and was well known in Europe when sarsaparilla arose to dispute with it the palm of popularity. In India, Persia, and Afghanistan, it is called chobchini, the Chinese wood. The preparations are in two forms, one sufuf, or powder, two kawa, or decoction. The former is compound of radix china quarant with gum, mash and sugar candy. Equal parts. About a dram of this compound is taken once a day, early in the morning. For the decoction, one ounce of fine parings is boiled for a quarter of an hour in a quart of water. When the liquid assumes a red color, it is taken off the fire and left to cool. Furthermore, there are two methods of inhibiting the Trocini. One band, two, cola. The first is when the patient confines himself to a garden listening to music enjoying the breeze the song of birds and the bubbling of a flowing stream he avoids everything likely to trouble and annoy him he will not even open a letter and the doctor forbids anyone to contradict him some grandees in central asia will go through a course of forty days in every second year it reminds one of epicurus's style of treatment the downy bed the garlands of flowers the good wine and the beautiful singing girl and is doubtless at least as efficacious in curing as the sweet relaxation of grafenburg or malvern so says socrates according to the anatomist of melancholy oculum non curibis sine toto capite ne caput sine toto corpore nec totum corpus sine animo. The cola signifies that you take the tonic without other precautions than the avoiding acids salt and pepper and choosing summer-time as cold is supposed to induce rheumatism or china roots so celebrated as a purifier tonic and aphrodisiac they choose the spring season they remove to a garden where flowers and trees and bubbling streams soothe their senses they carefully avoid fatigue and trouble of all kinds and will not even hear a letter read lest it should contain bad news When the prescription is written out, you affix an impression of your ring-seal to the beginning and to the end of it, that no one may be able to add to or take from its contents. And when you send medicine to a patient of rank, who is sure to have enemies, you adopt some similar precaution against the box or the bottle being opened. One of the pashas whom I attended, a brave soldier who had been a favorite with Muhammad Ali, and therefore was degraded by his successor, kept an impression of my ring and wax, to compare with that upon the files. Men have not forgotten how frequently, in former times, those who became obnoxious to the state were seized with sudden and fatal cramps in the stomach. In the case of the doctor, it is common prudence to adopt these precautions, as all evil consequences would be charged upon him, and he would be exposed to the family's revenge. End of Section 7